Welcome to episode 287 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we preview week two of the NRL final series. We discuss Jack Byton and much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 287 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I'm your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, we are well and truly into NRL finals. Can you feel it? Can you feel the, the can you smell the smoke in the air? Almost you can taste it. The, it smells of, of hazard reduction, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. Yes, hazard reduction. Um, the road to the NRL grand final is, uh, is, is almost there. We've got a couple of turns before we've got to make the big run. I think this is the last service center. Um, before we hit our destination. So, um, you know, well, second last, I suppose, because we've still got one more week after this. But, look, i got to say um, an interesting week of week one finals with two absolute blockbusters towards the end. But, um, yeah, some great NRL footy that we've had in 2023 and I think capping it off with um, probably uh, an amazing week one for the finals. Absolutely. We're, we're going to launch into that in a second. Yeah, no surprises at the... The elimination finals were the one, the ones that were most, uh, you know, mo- most of uh, uh, tough, uh, the toughest and the closest, and uh, absolute, yeah, as you said, blockbuster, real semi-final football. Um, you know, you're right. The road is there. We're, we're heading towards the finals. We're almost there. Um, those of you who've come from the Shire or from Canberra, turn back. Uh, this is not for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Go away. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, we've lost two, so we are now down to six. Our top six uh, is with us, and uh, it just so happens. Well, actually, no. In, in the one case, it's not not the, the top six on on the ladder. It was actually, yeah. Uh, yeah, one was a bit of a reversal of what was expected in terms of position on the ladder. But we'll we'll launch into the into that in a second. But is there? Uh, yeah, we also got uh, you know coming up talking about Jack Byton. So the other kind of big news to come out of the Canberra game was. Uh, the uh, Jack Whiten biting Tyson, is it Tyson Gamble? Uh, yes. And uh, that was a very interesting affair. So we'll, we'll sort of, uh, we'll take a chunk out of that for a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, so look, let's, without any further ado, let's get into Tackle 1, which is our review of week one of the NRL finals. All right, so the finals went like this on uh, uh, the first one was the Broncos, 26-0 shutout uh, of the Melbourne Storm in front of over 50,000 at Suncorp Stadium. Well done, Brisbane. Capacity, Broncos. I think. More than capacity. Um, More than I think capacity. there must have been people hanging off yes. of uh, Reese Walsh's, Walsh's locks. There were so yes. many, <laughs> so many extra people on the field. Uh, who knows? So but, yeah, well, fire the- regulations uh, not adhered to. Uh, <laughs> That's right. That's it's right. The COVID COVID regulations were just thrown out the window. Uh, Fifty thousand packed in there. Penrith Panthers thirty two to six over the Warriors. A a Sean Johnsonless Warriors. Admittedly, mm. in front of uh, twenty-one thousand, big crowd there at Bluebet Stadium, and then we saw the Roosters edge out the Sharks thirteen to twelve. In uh, it wasn't it wasn't quite Golden Point, was it? No, I, no, no, it wasn't Golden Point. It was a uh, regulation time, thirteen to twelve, in front of a very small twelve and a half thousand at uh, Cronulla's Points Bet Stadium. But capacity, but capacity. You you got to take capacity where you can get it. So there you that's go. Right, well that's done. Right, that's right. Uh, probably the smallest ground. You know, it's it's up there with uh, you know with the Dapto. <laughs> you know, like there's there's a few other regional centres that would would challenge that capacity crowd. But mm. you know, here we have an NRL team, the Sharks, with twelve thousand capacity. 
in comparison the Knights, 29,500, almost full capacity there. Saw probably one of the best, uh, you know, finals games I have seen in a long time. Knights v Raiders, 30 to 28. They just edged out the Canberra Raiders in... Uh, It was in extra time. It wasn't in golden point. It was almost about to get into golden point, but there's a lot to come out of that game. It was a wonderful game. But look, Tish, before we dive into that, let me, let me give you the opportunity to tell us what was your highlight of, uh, of the round uh, and, and highlights, lowlights, anything, or shall we look up match? Yep. Yeah, we'll go. We'll, we'll sort of go match by match a little bit. But look, I've got to say, um, yeah, we were, we mentioned the word capacity, and obviously, you know, the Sharks only having a twelve thousand five hundred seat stadium, uh, but they did have capacity. In fact, all four games, uh, if you actually look uh, at, you know, depending on venue, they all had a capacity crowd. So um, that is amazing. That shows. Uh, I think NRL is uh, definitely hotter than ever. Um, uh, and and you know hotter than probably like the early nineties, right? Like that's probably the last time where we sort of had capacity gra- crowds at sort of every games. And I'm pretty sure that even in the nineties, when rugby league was super hot, we might have not even had that. So I think well done for the NRL fans, definitely. Um, I think that is a highlight they want to point out. And you know, um, SunCorp Stadium on Friday night. Yeah, look, I know the score wasn't in the balance <laughs> for long periods of the game. But I think it actually just provided a great atmosphere. So I think, you know, for that game, I mean, the Broncos, they were completely dominant. Um, I, I Look, Reese. Well, people talk about Reese Walsh. His try that he scored, uh, I still don't know how. I mean, that was amazing. Um, I, I I think he could be the best player in the NRL or he could be potentially the best of all time. He, he was incredible. Um, and, uh, yeah, look, I think that. It was a bit disappointing, you know, the Warriors without their Johnson not being able to uh, perform to the level that we kind of expected from them. Um, so when you've got your key playmaker out like that, I mean, I feel like that was, um, you know, a terrible situation. Um, but I thought at times they kind of defended well. So, you know, a bit of a miss one. And then the two blockbusters, I think, um, you know, firstly, you know, the, the Sharks and the Roosters, um, you know, the Roosters sort of coming from behind. I think the Sharks scored the first points, if I'm not wrong. And then they sort of, you know, the Roosters were able to sort of clinch it at the end. And then they were able to also defuse two field goals, um, you know, which was which was pretty cool as well, right? And then we kind of saw a, a bit of a repeat of that, um, you know, uh, with the final game as well, which I thought was absolutely incredible, the you know the footage uh, of the um, you know of the crowd, and then even Kalen Ponga's uh, you know victory speech at the end, how he tells Newcastle he loves them. I think, I mean, what great emotion! So look, all and up, look what what great drama, what great theatre, um, you know, fantastic. That's that's probably my overall view. What about you, Doctor Z? Oh yeah, look, I I think uh, the Knights and Raiders game I think was uh, look, <coughs> excuse me. I, <clears throat> a couple of things. The Sharks or Roosters? Let's go to that one. Um, I think the what I saw towards the end there was, unfortunately, um, well, you know, the Roosters show have a lot of heart and show a lot of fight, which is something that you wouldn't expect to say about the Roosters, but I think that's why they've, they've kind of ground out a lot of really close wins in recent times and why they, you know, there was a period, what, several weeks before, I think four weeks or five weeks before the finals where we did our prediction, the road home to the finals, and the Roosters didn't even feature. The only way they were going to make it was mathematically and if if the teams in front of them stuffed up, and that's exactly what happened. They mathematically made it. They won every game. The Eels, mm. Rabbitohs, Cowboys, all in front of them faltered, <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and they, they snuck in. And then here they are against the Sharks, who admittedly do not perform well against other top eight teams. Um, yeah. But you know, you would have you would have been forgiven for thinking this is the time for the Sharks to kind of, you know, avenge their loss of last year in the finals and and really make make an effort to take that next step. Um, and and yeah, they took that first step. They were they were stepping forward, and uh, then they let the Roosters back into the game. And then the end was just unbelievable. It was, uh, you know, I think there were, well, Sam Walker with, I think, seven minutes ago, scored a field goal. But then the Sharks had two other opportunities 
in the last five minutes or so. Nico Hines had two opportunities to kick a field goal to at least put them level. And on both occasions, he was charged down, once by Luke Kearing, once by James Sadesco. Now, you could argue that they were probably offside a little bit, um, <laughs> either that or they were faster than Usain Bolt. But regardless, um, you know, this was Nico Hines's moment and he failed to to be the clutch player that, that the Sharks needed him to be, unfortunately. And that's – I know that sounds a bit harsh because, you know, without Nico, they probably wouldn't be anywhere near where they are anyway. But – to be honest, that's his job is to get them over the line in these situations, you know. Um, and he is cool, calm and collected, a bit like a, a Cooper Cronk style player. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's what I expected. But but that's not what happened. What happened was, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, he, he, uh, uh, he was way too slow the first time, got charged down. And you would think that you, you know, second time around, you think I've got to position myself deeper so that they cannot run to me. I've got to make sure that I get myself into a better position and 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 also that I'm quicker in case they can make a run for it. He didn't do that. So the second time, <laughs> the charge down again, I was yeah. thinking um, you did not learn from the first time only a few minutes ago. So that is, if you're a Sharks fan, you'd be extremely disappointed at that because he had two really good opportunities. And look, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda, but you you still look at that and you think that should have been at very at the very least a golden point uh, or an extra time game. Um, and yeah, the Sharks, I think, let that one slip through their fingers. Um, on the other hand, we had the Knights. The Knights were dominated in the first half by the Raiders, and and then turned it around completely. Flipped flip the script on its head in the second half. It was all Knights. But then, miraculously, Canberra, as they usually do, the, the old Ricky Stewart fighting spirit, fought back. And, um, and, and yeah, like they, they, got them, they got themselves to extra time. Um, and then a controversial, I think, a controversial penalty to, uh, to Newcastle where the controversy was that uh, it was a head-high tackle. And Callum Ponga, their goal kicker, was allowed to take the kick instead of being forcibly sent off the field for mandatory HIA assessment, you know, head impact assessment. Um, and he was allowed to take the goal kick and he, uh, the penalty kick, sorry. And obviously he scored it, put them two points ahead. And uh, yeah, that, there is a lot of controversy online about why was he allowed to stay on the field? Um, I mean, quite rightly, other people are saying, well, you know, even if he had gone off the field, uh, look, my grandmother could have kicked that <laughs> that field mm. goal over. It was straight in front, kind of thing. So it's it's probably inconsequential. But again, not if your grandmother is Roberta Baggio. No, that's oh, don't don't get it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's right. harsh. That's harsh. Okay. Uh, but look, uh, well, it would have got it over because at least it would have gone over the the sticks, right? <laughs> anyway, um, but look, um, you know, but what a game! I mean, and, and there was charge downs here as well. I think uh, Fogger. I think there was two as well, right? There was at least one or two that I remember, but it was just uh, I can't even I can't even put into words how uh, drama filled this game was. And we're going to get into one of the controversies that happened later as well, where Jack Whiten was accused of biting Tyson Gamble, um, and and oddly enough, you know they saw that it was a bite. He put him on report, the referee Ashley Klein, but he didn't penalise him. <laughs> the the mm. Raiders had the ball again, so. You know some very odd decisions from the bunker and and the and the um, the on-field referee at this point, but uh, very very strange. But as a game, I think the Knights and the Raiders. I think this will be looked at, you know, for many years to come as one of those real classic uh, semi-final games, end to end. You know, literally a tale of two halves. But the difference is with the second half, um, the Raiders actually made a bit of a comeback and almost mm. snatched it away from the Knights. I think you could argue that the Raiders probably deserved the win just as much as the Knights did. So I think the Raiders put everything out there. And and that's a typical kind of Ricky Stewart approach to the game. Um, you know, this is a team that had negative 100 and something for and against, <laughs> snuck their way into the finals <laughs> yeah. and, and almost, almost, almost toppled Newcastle Knights in front of a very vocal home crowd on a Sunday evening. Perfect time for footy. Um, what a perfect end to round one. It was just amazing. But, 
Yeah, Tish, do you want to? Uh, is there anything else you want to cover in these games, well, or shall well, we move on? Well, well look, just on the, on that game, you talk about um, the fair, like sh- you know, maybe you know, you could argue that the Raiders probably should have won that game. Well, statistically, I think I think that kind of holds up as well. They are actually uh, they had the better of all the statistics, um, and the only statistic where the Knights did better than them won was missed tackles because they had 49 missed tackles the Knights and the Raiders only had 31. So even that um, was, uh, yeah, w- was there and even uh, penalties conceded. I mean, the, the you know, the Raiders are a very high penalty conceding team, but but not on this occasion. So, yeah, so look, but there you go. But th- that's also a hallmark of a, of a great team as well, you know, being able to be outplayed but still being able to get the win in the clutch that's moment, true. right? That's true, um, that's true. Yep. And, and, then, and that's true. And then, look, you know, with Nico Hines, look, uh, the, he was sort of let go of state of origin, and this is kind of where the the next level for him is, um, which is, you know, being able to to be that player that you go to at those crucial times. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's a reference point, you know, the Rugby Union World Cup is on, and I've seen so many field goals kicked where the, you know, the fly back or half or whatever is standing – probably about 25 metres away from the defensive line. Um, but, you know, it's enough to be able to, like, get your aim in and take the shot. And I think maybe uh, maybe a bit of, uh, you know, practice for the new season for, for Nico and maybe a few of the Raiders players as well can, can you know, can hopefully get them to, to where they need to be, um, you know, next year when it comes to being that clutch player of the, you know, when it comes down to the wire. Absolutely. And just before we wrap this one up, I I wanted to point out one statistic that is a Ricky Stewart statistic. If there's any what you know, you did say you're right that a lot of the, the Raiders kind of beat the Knights on almost all of the main kind of stats, but there's one that stands out as so unbelievably lopsided that you've just got to think, you know, this is this says Ricky Stewart to a T. And it is none other than dummy passes. The Raiders had 47 <laughs> and the Knights had five. Would you how do you just how do you describe that? 47 <laughs> to five. <laughs> Are they just going around dummying each other all the time? That's that's on average 20 per half, at least. 23 per half. Do they what? have more dummy passes than passes? <clears throat> no. No, but actually if you look at percentage wise. It's probably one of the highest percentages. It's like 295 total passes to 47 dummy passes versus uh, the other side. Unbelievable. 210 over five. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. It's, uh, <laughs> it's just really, really odd. But anyway, um, look, that's that's it for uh, round one. Um, let's dive into the uh, the previews of the upcoming semifinals. Again, these are eliminations. And the first one is the Storm versus the Roosters. Here we go. All right. The Storm versus the Roosters. This game will be played at Amy Park. This Friday, the 15th of September, it's uh, obviously the big televised game at, at 7.50 p.m. And, uh, and yeah, so there's uh, – well, the book – let me just check. The bookies have the Storm as pretty heavy favourites. Um, we have a few, I think, updates on the teams list. So I just thought I'd quickly go through. The main one is, obviously, Ryan Pappenheisen with a, a dreadful injury in the last game is out. Um, for the Storm, Xavier Coates is also out, unfortunately. I think he's injured as well. Billy Smith and Joey Manu and jo- Joseph Suali'i are also out for the Roosters. So what we have is for the Storm, we've got Nick Meany, Will Warbrick, Marion Sevy, Justin Olam, Ramus Smith, Cameron Munster, Jerome Hughes, and in the forwards, Josh King, Katoa, Loero, Welch as captain, Harry Grant, and Kamika Mika as uh, rounds out the forwards. And then we've got Alec McDonald, Tom Eisenhuth, Nelson Asofa-Solomona, and Tariq Sims 
on the interchange bench. And for the Roosters, Tedesco, Captain, Paugo, Momirovsky, Allen, Paulo, Luke Keery, Sam Walker, and then the forwards, Victor Radley, Nat Butcher, Wong, Lindsay Collins, Smith, uh, Brandon Smith, that is, Fletcher Baker, and on the bench, Sandon Smith, Egan Butcher, Terrell May, and Angus Crichton. Tish, uh, do you have any views? Uh, first up, you know, we, we're seeing a, a team in the storm that got demolished by the Broncos, didn't even score a point against them, versus mm. a team that played a relatively weaker Sharks outfit and needed to go into almost almost golden point or extra time to defeat them. Uh, does that give you a, a taste at all of what's to come? Yeah, I think it does because um, I think the Storm have uh, adjusted a couple of things. Uh, Justin Ollum is back in the centres, for example. Um, so Tom and Apeya is is out. Um, so that just adds that bit of experience, which I think they kind of lacked out in the backs, right, because they kind of got dominated by the uh, Broncos' backs. So that adjustment was good. And I think, yeah, it, it was kind of a an uncanny Melbourne Storm performance, really. Like uh, they got in each other's way on 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 the Monday and oh, sorry on the Friday. And I also noticed that uh, you know when there was uh, when it was time for the Melbourne Storm to attack, the ball went to Jerome Hughes or Harry Grant would do something, and it was like the most like you know like a, a grubber to like somebody's shin or something like that. Right? It wasn't it wasn't like breathtaking stuff. Whereas I think that their main thing is like. Hey, when you're when you're attacking, give the ball to Cameron Munster, right? And he would just make something out of nothing. And I think they didn't do that enough. Um, so I think their adjustment is there. And I think with the Roosters, I think uh, I think all three of their outs, uh, Billy Smith, Joseph Manu, and Swahili, are big outs because they're they're great players, right? That they have in their lineup. So um, I think that really affects them. Um, but they've also been playing. Um, Really good footy. I like the Luke Carey Sam Walker combination. They seem like you know um, two guys that get along, um, you know, sort of thing happening, which I think is awesome. Um, so I think it's going to be a really great game. I like you know, I, I think we will go either way, but I kind of think at home, I think the Storm are going to adjust and they'll probably win this one. Um, but look, I mean, the Roosters—they probably have like an eight-match ma- winning streak or something like that. They've they've really performed well. Um, you know, earlier in the sea, earlier in the season, what was the? Uh, just trying to think. Yeah, early in the season, yeah, the Storm beat them thirty to sixteen, um, and then they also, yeah, and twenty eight eight as well in both the games this year. So, the Storm have dominated over the last two games against this team, and I kind of don't see that changing, um, despite the form that uh, the Roosters have had. Um, that's kind of the way I see it. How about yourself, Doctor T? Um, yeah, look, if you if you look at the te- the games that they have won the Roosters recently, it was against the Dolphins, the Eels, the Tigers, the Rabbitohs, and the Sharks. So I don't think you'd, I think it's fair to say that they didn't really have the the most difficult of runs coming in, given that they were all except for the Sharks outside the top eight. Um, the the Storm, however, have had uh, the Raiders wins against the Raiders, Dragons, Titans, Broncos. This is during the regular season. And then obviously this was a rematch, this time with full strength sides, and then they got flogged by the Broncos. So that tells you, I guess, the reality of where the Storm are at at the moment. I think this the Storm are more vulnerable than people realise. I thought, to me, we've been always thinking of the Storm as one of the most clinical sides. And, you know, under Bellamy, they, they hardly put a foot wrong. Um, they, they, you can almost reliably guarantee that they will play in a certain way and get out in front on the scoreboard and protect the lead and, and you know, often more often than not, they'll win. But to not score a single point against the, uh, the Broncos at home, uh, that to me was I, – I don't know what to make of that. I think that was – as good a game as the Broncos would have ever played against the Storm, or it was as worse a game as the Storm have ever played this year or for a long time. So I don't know what to make of it. Is it the case that they're just going to dust off the cobwebs and completely demolish the Roosters? Or is it the case that there are some things about the way the Broncos played the game that really 
you know showed that they, they've uh, they've got the they've got a number on the storm and and you know the roosters with their coach i mean this is like the battle of the super coaches isn't it these are the two teams that have dominated pretty much for the last 10 years or so the roosters had a were the last team to win two in a row before the panthers and that was not that long ago that was just pre covid i think it was so you know again trent robinson great coach Craig Bellamy, obviously great coach as well. This is a battle of the great coaches at the moment, to be honest. Um, I don't know where this is going to go. So I, I, I admit the Roosters are probably, uh, you know, absolute outsiders compared to the Storm uh, by anyone's measure, including the bookies. But I, I just get the feeling that the Roosters have something up their sleeve. Now, they would have had a little bit more if Joey Manu was there and Swalee, but I think given that, uh, you know, who they've got at the moment. I think one of the things that they do really well, and I can't really prove this with stats or anything at the moment, they do, they use their bench really well. Like, I think having Angus Crichton there on the bench is actually really critical. Um, having Victor Radley played the way he played against the Sharks, he was absolutely immense. And I haven't seen him play like uh, as good as that for a long, long time. So it's, uh, I think they're coming good at the right time. And they've got, you know, don't discount players of the likes of Lindsay Collins as well in the forwards. Um, you know, they don't have as many big names or experience as the Storm, that's for sure. But I I, I think you should discount the, the Roosters at your peril, put it that way. Mm. Tish, uh, final word before we move on. We don't. Well, I'm not going to get your tips right now. You can save them until the yep. end. But um, just want to, yeah, if you have any other yeah. final words before we move on. Uh, I, well, I think you make a really great point. And then, you know, that kind of made me think a little bit about their season. You know, any time the Roosters have had a big game, they've been able to perform, right? So, you know, Charity Shield is what I'm talking about. Now, fair enough, they're playing the Dragons who haven't had the best squad uh, over the last few years. But still, like, you know, big occasions, they seem to be able to turn up. And you are right about the bench. Um, and, you know, I'm also thinking about, like, you know, a player like Lindsay Combs, and, you know, he's just kind of everywhere at State of Origin type thing. So I think there is something to be said about that. But I but I feel like equally you can say the same thing about the Storm too. I think, um, you know, Big Nelson, Asafa, Solomon, and Tarek Sins coming off the bench, uh, you know, two big sort of guys that can really change the game as well. Um, so I think it's going to be a fascinating game. I'd say probably... You know, two very evenly matched type squads with a very similar style um, across the board, and and uh, well, I mean, usually teams not well liked by other clubs as well. So, um, but it's going to be great. And um, look, hopefully, another sellout this time in Melbourne. All right, so let's move on to uh, the next game, which is the Warriors versus the Knights. Tackle number three. Here we go. So the second semi-final, uh, again, elimination, sees team number four play team number five, Warriors versus Knights. The Warriors are at home at Go Media Stadium in Auckland. It is Saturday, the 16th of September. It's 4.05 p.m. in Sydney time, but I believe that makes it, if I'm not mistaken, is that 7.05 in, in Auckland? Is it three hours behind or something like that, or...? I'm not sure that that's possibly what it is, but um, look, the Warriors are the favourites here, slight favourites. Although being at home and the way they've played this year, I think they should be raging hot favourites. In terms of the um, uh, the teams list, so the big news for the Warriors obviously is Sean Johnson coming back in to the fold. For uh, the Knights, the big one is Jackson Hastings, who suffered a uh, I think it was an ankle injury um, in in that game against the Raiders. He is out. So uh, they've got a new halfback there, which will be very interesting. Um, <clears throat> so the, the team list is as follows. The Warriors, uh, Chance, Nickel Clock, said, Dallin, Wadne, Zelezniak, Rocco Berry, Adam Pompey, Marcelo Montoya, Tamara Martin, Sean Johnson at halfback, 
In the forwards, we've got Tohu Harris, Murata Niakore, Jackson Ford, Mitchell Barnett, Wade Egan, and Adam Fanua Blake. On interchange bench, Dylan Walker, Jazz Tavaga, Bailey Sirinan, Josh Curran. For the Knights, Kalen Ponga as captain, Dominic Young, Dane Gagai, Bradman Best, Greg Marziu, Tyson Gamble, Adam Clune. In the forwards, Adam Elliott, Dylan Lucas, Tyson Frizzell, Leah Thompson, Phoenix Crossland, Jacob Saifiti, and on the interchange bench, Kurt Mann, Daniel Saifiti, Jack Hetherington, and Matt Croker. And Tish, if you're going by uh, how many, uh, you know, if you're going by the metric that I like, which is number of double-barreled names, hyphenated surnames, then the Warriors win this one. They've got Chance, Dallin, and Adden, three to zero. So well done, the, the Warriors, for winning <laughs> the double-barreled surname cup. Uh, but look, in all seriousness, I think the Warriors, uh, we've talked about them quite a bit. I know they got flogged by the, the Panthers, but I think not having Sean Johnson was a very major, major issue uh, for them. I think they rely on him quite a bit, and he's been in almost career best form this year. So I think the fact that he's back, hopefully he's recovered from whatever his minor injury was in training um, versus, uh, you know, look, a, a Newcastle Knights team that had one of the toughest semifinals in a while, they would be physically kind of spent from that. That was, would have been a very difficult game to play. Um, but, and also without Jackson Hastings, although it could be argued that without Jackson Hastings actually played a little bit better um, they they kind of bandied together and and yeah they were actually pretty good without him so uh, I don't know how much Adam Clune covers for him in that respect and and how much extra value he adds in this kind of environment must be very very difficult uh, coming in to an elimination semi final with with that uh, but he handled the pressure uh, in the other game very well so look in my mind I think the Warriors we've been uh, talking about them a lot how they've created an identity this year, how they've, they're just uh, going great guns. They're playing for each other. They're playing exciting football. Um, I think the Panthers were so clinical that they kind of found them out a little bit. But again, without Sean Johnson, without it being an actual elimination, I get the feeling that, um, you know, here we've got, while the other game was a tale of two, uh, you know, experienced coaches, here we have... Um, you know, we've, who who is it? Adam O'Brien versus uh, Andrew Webster. So, look, pretty new-ish coaches to NRL. Um, Adam Webster, I think, first year as a, as a head coach and already done very great things for the Warriors. I think at home and the fact that they've built such a, uh, a strong presence at home throughout the year, they're going to have a, a packed crowd there bane for blood and i think the warriors will uh will do it this time i'll i'll uh, keep my tip to later but that's where i think uh, i think this game will be won and lost in the halves and i think um you know tamari martin sean johnson uh they're gonna run rampant i believe that's uh yeah uh that's my view tish what do you think well yeah i think this is the for me this is kind of the more difficult one to pick based on, you know, I mean, the Knights won, but, yes, they also had to play extra time on the Sunday, um, you know, so they have 24 hours less than what the Warriors do to recover. The Warriors weren't that great, but they didn't have Sean Johnson. And it's it's not just the player, Sean Johnson, but it's also the position that Sean Johnson plays in halfback, right, because as soon as you've got to move him out, then you've got to move other players in, um, like Dylan Walker, who I think is a great um, impact player off the bench um, and creative player in his own right, but not really the organiser. So you sort of nullify kind of the the key weapons that you've got. Um, and then from a defensive point of view, like, you know, the Warriors, I mean, obviously letting in 30-odd points is kind of uh, difficult. But then, you know, the Knights led in 28, <laughs> right? So not, not that far off too. So that's kind of where it is. Um, look, what I hope is that this is going to be a very open style game, which I think it's going to be because I think that both teams like to throw the ball around. I think both teams can come up with very exciting tries. I think we, you've seen um, Dallin pretending as a Lesniak with some absolutely amazing, thrilling tries and diving into the corner, um, you know, every single week. Um, but not to be outdone, I think Dom Young scored some, some spectacular times, spectacular tries in a very similar sort of way. So, um, I think it's going to be absolutely fantastic. 
Um, but yeah, I think yeah, as you said, great atmosphere. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago that uh, you know the the Warriors, their home ground, has been absolutely on fire with uh, you know with record crowds this year. Um, you know, almost to to their beginnings type thing. So I think it's going to be absolutely great. Uh, how do I analyze this? Well, you know, what I think is that you know the Knights have had su- such a great run, and because of the great run they've had. Um, you know, they've got like players like Kalen Ponga that's super focused and showing great leadership and uh, uh, maturity as well. Um, and then, you know, that type of thing. Um, I think Hastings, yeah, he's he's out this week, but I think Adam Clune has always done a great job. Um, I know we'll probably talk about him a lot, lot, uh, think uh, a bit later, but Tyson Gambell, like, you know, he's sort of been. You know, he was a West Tiger for a bit. You know, he went and played for Brisbane. Now he's at Knights. Um, kind of a bit of a an interesting type of player. But, like, you know, he's been, um, you know, he's seems like he's found a home and I suppose uh, at the Knights and, and, and a bit of a talent. And, uh, yeah, look, the forward packs of both teams I think are quite incredible. So, you know, the Warriors got past the fact that they were in the finals after so many years last week. That's behind them now. Uh, now they're going to be at home in front of their home crowd. I think those factors kind of really brings it in. And um, who knows? I think maybe, well, you know, I'll say it like this. I think um, I think this one is also going to likely to go into extra time, just like the Knights previous game, which would be absolutely amazing to win a row. Um, but I can see it. That's how close I think this team, uh, these two are going to be. It's, it's going to be very difficult to try and... Um, yeah, to try and predict a winner in this one. So uh, probably out of the two games, I'd say I'm probably looking forward to watching this one the most because I think it's it's going to be the more exciting one as far as I could tell. Um, how about yourself there, Dr. T? Yeah, I agree. I think this will be a, an exciting one. I, I, I'm looking forward to the Storm getting knocked out, put it that way. <laughs> that's, that's just a, as an Eels fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's just a di- different thing. That's the, my little hobby horse. But um, no, look, this is going to be a good one. And I think... Um, yeah, I'm just thinking about this is uh, Tyson Gamble. It sounds very much like a Bond villain kind of. <laughs> does, doesn't, he, yeah. doesn't the name the name really guess? Which is a good segue into our next item, which <laughs> relates to Tyson Gamble. Uh, but no, no. Before we move on, um, no, I, I yeah. Uh, if I get the last word here, this is going to be a a cracker of a game, whichever way you look at it, because I think both teams have good firepower and and will open it up a bit. I think you're right. This will actually be a pretty open game. Um, but I am impressed a little bit with the way the uh, uh, the Warriors have uh, defensively worked, especially in the latter half of the season. Um, I'm also impressed in the way the Newcastle Knights, I think they have one of the best attacking records in, in the entire league. So this is, uh, or if not in terms of points, at least in terms of, I believe, number of tries. I think I heard that they've scored the most tries this year. So this is going to be just in terms of just that is pretty tantalizing in terms of, uh, you know, what kind of a game we're going to be watching. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a cracker of a game. Um, and, and yeah, it should be really good. But let's get into our – let's sink our teeth into a controversy that came out of that Raiders and uh, Knights game on the weekend. Here we go. Tackle number four, Jack Byton. Jack Barton, Barton, Tyson Gamble. All right. (laughs) That was excellent. All right. Well done. Look, we have just heard news today. There's a reason why we're talking about this. Uh, There's a couple of reasons, actually. There is a bit of news, but I also wanted to get into a bit of a debate with you, Tish, and see if you agree with me. So Jack Whiten, who has been classified or or named, nicknamed Jack Barton, almost as soon as it happened, I think Twitter exploded. Uh, Elon Musk had to get on the phone and make sure that there was nothing wrong with Twitter cause, or X or whatever they call it. Uh, Jack Byton, as he's now known, um, was alleged to have bitten Tyson Gamble on the arm. So what happened was it seemed like a regular tackle. Tyson Gamble, however, had his forearm all over Jack Byton's face, heading into the ground. He was like sort of laying on top of him. 
then Tyson Gamble jumps up, motions to his hand, goes straight to the referee and says, he bit me, he bit me, sir. And then uh, Ashley Klein said, uh, and even showed him, and that you could see on the TV screen, it was pretty obvious that there was bite marks. Um, or, or let me say, what I saw was a single row of, if I'm, for those of you who are dentists, you can tell me which uh, which exact teeth were were the uh, that made the indent on his arm, but it looked like it was one single row of teeth with saliva all over it, and it was very clear that it came from uh, Jack Wyden. Obviously, they showed the replay. Ashley Glein didn't know what to do, so he actually went straight to the the bunker. They had a look at it, and then they came back with, uh, "Yeah, it looks like there was a bite there." But he put him on report. But then he let the play continue, and he actually continued with the Raiders having the ball, and uh, I think they were in you know second or third tackle, whatever it was, in their own half. Could have been a penalty. Could have been either a send-off or 10 minutes in the bin at least. Uh, that didn't happen, so that was very controversial. Anyway, fast forward to today. Uh, we are talking Tuesday, so a couple of days later, and the latest is that Jack Wyden has actually been found guilty of biting and has been given a three-game ban. Now, I mean, immediately the questions come up around if he got if he's guilty of biting, why is three games the uh, the penalty? Shouldn't it be a lot more than that? Because biting is considered like you know it's up there with eye, probably lower than eye gouging and doing a hopawade and uh, kicking someone in the nuts or something. It's well, a, I think I think tripping is the worst one, right? Is it really? <laughs> I would think yeah, eye gouging would be the worst. You could damage people for life. Yeah, because uh, as far as I know, t- uh, tripping is like automatic send-off, right? Whereas well, a body gets you on report. I don't know what eye gouging gets you, right? I, I would think eye gouging. There used to be a thing called, uh, for those kids out there who don't know, the uh, the hills hoist. Uh, it was when, when you just stick your arm out and just knock a player over. Uh, that certainly would get you sent off <laughs> these days. But, um, look, I wanted to raise this without going into the, the argument of the case and um, uh, of the, the legal case and, and whatever and the decision. Uh, I just wanted to argue, did you did you see at all, Tish, what happened, uh, you know, and, and, you know, did you see Jack Wyden's argument after he got um, put on report was that uh, he basically said, he had his arm in my face. What, what, where, where, you know, why did he put my arm, his arm in my face? He could have moved his arm. Now, I think from what I saw that in some of the transcript is that they, um, uh, he was arguing that uh, Tyson Gamble had his forearm, you know, rubbing it basically on his face, and then he had his, the full weight of his body on the back of his neck. So there is really nowhere to go. And I'm just going to put this out there, Tish, and see if you want to respond to it. I'm kind of on the side of Jack Wyden on this because I look at um, I look at what happened. Now, I, I kind of think about this in practical terms. Um, it's pretty hard to bite someone properly if you only use one half of your mouth. <laughs> like, to me, that's like he may have pushed his teeth into his arm, but he didn't really take a bite out of it like you would normally think, oh, he actually bit and chomped down. Mm. Because no evidence of that. You saw in the in the image, I saw in the images where Tyson was showing, here is some indents on my arm, but it was only one row of teeth. So that is actually consistent with, you know, his mouth was open for whatever reason. Um, his arm Because he needs to breathe there. as a human, right? He needs to breathe as a human because, you know, as we know, Jack Wyden has sleep apnea and nose issues. And so he, he needs a bit, a bit of a mouth breather. Look, you know, let's be fair, he looks a bit of a mouth breather. And so, like, this this is consistent with his claim on the field that, uh, you know, his arm was in my, fa- my, my mouth. What was I supposed to do? Mm. That's exactly right. And I, I kind of, I'm Jack White side, and I can't believe that he, I think he should be found not guilty. I think they need to reverse this uh, this decision. There should be an appeal because um, I think I, I think Jack Wyden is correct on this. Uh, as much as I love to call him Jack Byton, I think it's, it's uh, you know, I think it's a case of he, uh, what else could he do? If you look at the replay, if you look at what happened, he's, uh 
Tyson's uh, the body weight was completely on him, um, and he was on the ground. It wasn't like he bit him mid-air and then they rolled over. And, you know, it was very clear that this all happened within an inch or two of the ground. And and obviously the crowd were, were baying for his blood. They were saying, you know, boo and all sorts of things like that um, to the referee um, because they could see on the screen that, you know, Jack Whiten's mouth was open. And, yes, his teeth made – he didn't deny that his teeth made contact with his arm. But my question is, does it constitute a bite if you don't engage both halves of your mouth? Um, you know, <coughs> yep. So, so like, tissue, what do you reckon? Well, look, I mean, I think where you're trying to get is uh, very similar to like when uh, they do the replay of like uh, the ball coming loose, right? Because there's got to be a stripping motion, as they say, like, you know, the, the hand on the ball. So you could have the hand on the ball. But are you actually, you know, are you intentionally, you know, swiping it out type thing, right? And uh, same sort of way where, you know, well, sometimes the teeth is going to come in contact with somebody's arm, um, but are you biting down? Is, it, is that like that's basically what you're saying, right, Dr. T? Um, sorry, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm saying if, you, if I was to give you an apple, Tish, yep. and say take a you bite can't just out of that. Yeah, you you if if you try to do it the Jack Whiten way, um, you would you would be struggling and you would probably ruin your teeth and give yourself a bit of a hernia because uh, it's impossible to do. So my argument is, look, I know it's different when you're biting into a, into a, an arm or something, but uh, it doesn't require that level of effort. But a bite, technically, in my mind, is about two sides of the mouth coming together. And you're mm. actually uh, forcibly kind of uh, pinching the skin, um, which is not what happened here, not at all. And so, you know, I'm, I'm joking about it, but I'm all, in all seriousness, I think Jack Whiten should be completely exonerated and uh, Tyson Gamble should be made to, uh, uh, you know, watch where he puts his forearm. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, look, um, my question is, uh, look, I haven't seen the bite mark. Uh, look, I did see Tyson Gamble complain. Uh, and it's one of the rare things in rugby league when there's an eye about uh, eye, sorry, not an eye about it, but a, a a biting like sort of accusation because it's like the only time in the game where you know both sides are in disagreement for something. Like you know, sometimes when there's a head eye tackle, everybody's like apologising, but nobody seems to apologise for the biting. Right? It's not like everybody's banding together type thing. So, and he just you know he's just. I don't know, it's kind of hilarious sometimes, like, just the way they sort of, he bit me, sir, he bit me, please, like, do something about it, he bit me. Like, it's kind of kind of a bit, um, reminds you of park football, like, in under 10s or something like that, right? Um, so so that was that. But So I haven't seen the body, nor did I see the arm. So you've seen the teeth marks. Now, can I ask you, were they the top row or the bottom row? Uh, clearly the top row because okay. of the concave uh, shape of the uh no no it, it was definitely it, it was like a you know like an up, yeah. <laughs> like an uh, a rainbow like an upside down kind of u kind of shape definitely a top top set of teeth which is again consistent and that, that there's no denying it the video clearly showed and on the ground when they showed the replay as they do they show the replay on the screen and the crowd reacts instantly to it immediately they were baying for his blood now to me the issue is not did his teeth make contact with his arm? That is very clearly the case, and and that's okay. My question is, given the position that Jack Wyden was in, um, it, it, I guess the argument, his argument was, where else could I go? My mouth was there. He put his arm in my, fa in my face, directly on my teeth. Uh, what else could I do? Now, he could, you know, being devil's advocate, could he have pushed a little bit further and like deliberately tried to you know i'm just thinking you could yeah. bite just like when you see players do headbutts without a headbutt that's not really a headbutt it's just like a a love tap you know like a uh i'm not really doing a headbutt but i'm just kind of inching forward with my head against your head it is kind of a headbutt it's that kind of thing that's what it looked like so i wouldn't you know maybe if there's grades of biting <laughs> This would be mm. at best, uh, at worst, it would be low-level 
bite in where in no other situation you have nowhere to go and you just lunge forward with yeah. your, your upper row yeah. of your teeth. Yeah. So, so this is a very light on the on the biting spectrum, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. I, look, I would say, number one, because I thought Jack Whiten wore a mouth guard, right? So that's why I did. thought maybe... It was a mouth guard. He had a mouth guard as well. <laughs> this was a mouth guard. <laughs> this was through a mouth guard biting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's... That's that's with some considerable force if you think about it, right? Like think about like you've got to get through the plastic of the uh, mouth guard, um, which I don't know is sustainable, but that's that's probably another topic. Oh, he might um, he might have form form fitted uh, mouth guard that's molded exactly to his teeth. Could be that. <laughs> it could be. It could be. All right. So yeah, yeah. look, look, look. I think I think you're posing some interesting questions. What what I what I thought I'd do is I, I should I thought I should go to an authority of uh, NRL. Uh, uh, you know, laws and rules uh, and regulations and try and see if I could get, you know, maybe somebody who, who really understands, um, you know, the refereeing um, side of things really well. Because, look, it is strange. Firstly, like, Ashley Klein not setting off a player is remarkable, right? Um, because he <laughs> sent, like, 13 off, like, against the Roosters versus Rapidos last year, if you recall, right? So yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. That it didn't even warrant a penalty on, the, like, the most harshest, of the current referees is um, uh, is is remarkable, um, but look, you know, I've decided to just just sort of Google as we're sort of talking about this, um, you know, the thoughts of you know probably probably the greatest referee of NRL history, and that is uh, Cameron Smith, and um, I didn't find anything directly related to biting, but in 2019 he was penalised after he was caught pulling on the ear of a Raiders player. And um, the referee called it rubbish in the face. Um, and Tyson Campbell's arm over 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 uh, Jack Whiten, I think, is rubbish in the face. Um, so, look on the rubbish in the face rule. I think uh, I think you have a point. I think that uh, you know two wrongs uh, don't make right. I think they should both be suspended. Um, <laughs> that's, that's an that's an interesting outcome there. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know you shouldn't have your hand, you shouldn't have your mouth, you shouldn't have your uh, arm in somebody's face, nor should you be biting on somebody else's arm. So maybe, maybe, maybe that's the way fair justice can prevail. They both are guilty. Yeah, and and Jack Wyden should also go and see uh, um, an ear, nose, and throat specialist to uh, breathe through his nose a little bit better, so this he doesn't get into this situation in future. He's got to reduce his mouth breathing. But look, well done, Tish. You brought the legal. The legal hammer down. Uh, you've won this logical argument with with legality. Suspend them both. I say. I agree with you. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to tackle number five. It's about the backflip. Here we go. I should be clear what I mean by the backflip is not the uh, Dom Young has just scored a try backflip. I'm talking <laughs> yeah. when when players get uh, signed to other clubs and then change their minds. Let's call this a DCE backflip. Um, yeah, that's right. It the seems original. To be, that's right. The original kind of uh, the, the OG of backflips. Um, no, no, there's obviously there's plenty more that have done this in the past, but look, uh, Tish, there has been a controversial rule change that the NRL has put in that actually affects uh, uh, the likelihood of us seeing this more and more in the future. What do you say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, look, it's just been reported just uh, today uh, on the 12th of the 9th uh, when we're recording um, that the NRL documentation um, that uh, the Sydney Morning Herald has dug out uh, with the changes to the to the play contract, but basically the new clause is called the last right of negotiation clause. So every player must provide his incumbent club with the last right of negotiation for a 10-day period from the date of notice that the player has received an offer from a rival club and that offer has been submitted to the NRL that he's prepared to accept. In order to give effect to this clause, a player must provide notice to his incumbent player that Incumbent club that there that he has an offer that will accept that he will accept in ten days time, uh, and then B is or oh sorry there's a bracket there subject 
to the negotiation with his incumbent club. Uh, the second time this takes into effect is that the club can engage in a contract negotiation with the player for a period of up to 10 days or the club may waive its rights uh, in writing, at which point the player is free to sign with the rival club. And C, the offer from the rival club must be an official offer and submitted to the NRL salary cap auditor, the contents of which will remain confidential, but the NRL salary cap uh, auditor can provide verification to the incumbent club that the official offer has been received. The offer must remain open for acceptance for a minimum of 14 days and for at least 48 hours beyond the expiry of the 10-day negotiation period with the incumbent club. There is no requirement for the player to disclose the terms of the offer to his incumbent club. And finally, Part D, um, this, this clause takes into effect at the expiry of the 10 days, the player must sign or reject the offer from the rival club. So, Dr. T, are you still awake out there? I am fully awake, and uh, I'm, I've had to do backflips to stay awake throughout all that. No, look, no, no, yeah, what's your question? Because I've got a few questions of my own, but, yeah, you go okay. ahead. So, look, I think in summary, I think what it basically means is that, uh, look, moving forward, you know, if you are, and look, we will just bring his name up as an example because he's going through this right now, Jerome Luai. He's coming off contract at the end of next year. He's, you know, as of November, he's then allowed to talk to other clubs. Let's just say he decides to sign for another club. Well, he has to let the Panthers know 10 days beforehand that he intends to sign for another club. And then, you know, either the Panthers waive the 10 days or they come in with another, like, last right of negotiation to try and, you know, keep him at the club and then, after that ten-day period expires, he must like sign or reject that offer from the from the uh, rival club. That's basically what the NRL is sort of mandating for all the new play contracts moving forward. So, what are your thoughts on all of that, Doctor T? Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, there's a couple of ways to look at it. That when something comes in like this, you got to think who's it benefiting and what's it, what problem is it trying to solve here. So is it trying to solve the problem that players feel like, uh, sorry, clubs feel like they they have no right of reply and and that, that they just get gazumped and players just get stolen from them, et cetera, et cetera? Is that the issue? Because if that's the issue, I can see why a 10-day cooling-off period <laughs> means that the club has a, a last right of reply and negotiation because that's what kind of the purpose of this. Um, but think about the consequences that you've, by by now allowing this to happen, you know, like no, let me backtrack. When when are the situations where a player will, uh, you know, sign with another club and not go back to their club and give them a chance to have a formal rebuttal? Um, I I don't know if that happens. I I I don't know how often that happens. I would think that more often than not, players and the managers, if they're smart managers and they're good at negotiating would say, let's just say I'm an Eels um, player and and say the Panthers offers me something really great. And I and I think, you know, if I'm a good manager, would I tell my Eels client, uh, you know, my Eels player who's my client, star client, uh, take the offer, don't even go back to the Eels. <laughs> this is brilliant. You'll never get a better offer from the Panthers. Go for it. Or would he say, hang on a minute, oh, are you offering a million a year? Let me go to the Eels. Eels, can you do 1.1 or, or whatever it is? And in my mind, a good manager will do that anyway, not necessarily give them a last, like they're calling this, a last right of negotiation. I think it's more just, I, I'm guessing more often than not if uh, that this is what would happen. Um, how often would it happen the other way, which is, uh, like I just said, you know, uh, as a manager, I would say, take the one one million from Panthers. Go for it. Just don't don't even bother bringing that back to the the Eels. Just just go. Um, you know, forget about you know. Yeah, cut your ties with that club. <laughs> you know, forget it. Uh, don't even bother. Just don't rock up to training. Just just leave. You know, take the one million or whatever. Um, because all this is doing is is suggesting that that second scenario I just came up with happens more often than not because otherwise why would you want to put in 
a calling off period. If the normal practice implies that it happens anyway, that clubs get a chance to provide a counter offer. Am I am I going crazy, Tish? Is this something? Am I talking common sense here, or am I missing something? Because I'm just wondering, what is the point of putting this into into action when you know usually the con- I've called it a cooling off period. That's not the right uh, context here. It's not the right analogy because a cooling off period is when you're a, a customer and you're purchasing something and it's a big item like a house or a car or something, and 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 for whatever reason, maybe there is a cooling-off period where you can decide, oh, actually, you know, I made a rash decision there. Um, is that what they're trying to do here? Is this a, a protecting players from making a rash decision thing? Is that what this is? Or is it the what I just said earlier? Tish, I, I don't know how to read this. I wonder whether this came from the Rugby League Players Association maybe. Um, I'm not really sure uh, where it's come from, but Tish, what's your view on that? Yeah, well, look, I think um, I think it does favour the club, the incumbent club, over the, I suppose the the players' best interest, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Be- be- because if I think about it like this, right, like um, you know, this becomes important depending on where your club is. Like, if you are a top four club and you think you could win premiership and then, um, you know, but then top four clubs are going to struggle to keep players uh, and pay them the same amount that they could get from other clubs that are trying to get better players into their squad so they could become a top four squad, right? So what you're going to do is that you're probably going to get a better offer from a rival club. Now, this rival club has to give you a better offer, but then there's a 10-day period where this good club um, can then sort of go, oh, mate, what are you doing? You're throwing away your career. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, 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 you know, you're going into training already, right? And you've got this 10-day cooling off period. I think it's going to I – th- I think the smart clubs that are doing well are going to be able to find ways to try and, um, you know, uh, I suppose make the scenario to the point where it's like, you're right, I can't, I can't see myself anywhere else. I, I might as well – you know, not get paid the extra two, three hundred, four hundred, and to be honest, in Jerome Lewis' case, up to probably seven hundred thousand extra, he could get at another club yeah, per year, yeah. right? Um, because he's definitely worth a million dollars, and he got offered something below seven hundred thousand, which is ridiculous compared to his halves partner that got over a million dollars, right? Um, so I don't, <laughs> I mean, that's the rumors out there. So I feel like, I feel like he's in a bad spot. Uh, staying at Penrith, that's what I feel. But for for him, but anyway, but that's but do you, but do you see how like in this sort of sort of scenario for a player like that, um, who could easily be getting another three hundred thousand uh, and be a, a million dollar player elsewhere, um, you know, not only does he have to sign a contract now, he also has ten days of you know going into the Panthers' office every day and hearing what a massive mistake he's done, you know. Mm. And that uh, yep. you know he should love his club more than he loves his family or something, like you know. I, I mean, I, I know I'm getting a bit dramatic, sort of thing, but I just I do feel like it, it makes it really um, hard for that player to to join a rival club. So I, yeah, I feel if if the players' association accepted this, I feel they did a very poor job. And I think throughout the whole thing, I realized you know I suppose this is the first time I'm kind of thinking where. You know the players' association. I thought they were unreasonable throughout the whole thing, but now I'm kind of thinking, well, if if they were going to impose rules like this, I, I would understand why they wouldn't want to sign a new um, bargaining contract where it kind of it's taking uh, in a way it's kind of uh, uh, allowing clubs to manipulate club players to taking less money, staying where they're staying. You know, mm. yeah. So. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I th- yeah, it's it's going to be interesting how this plays out. But, um, yeah, there's something that doesn't feel right about it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, look, I don't know. The, there's a, If you compare it to kind of the general workplace uh, where most people work, if they're working offices, that you can – it's very rare that you can uh, just sort of quit and on the same day walk out <laughs> with your – your pencils and whatever. Um, I think it's 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 often the case that you have to sort of give a, a bit of a um, a notice period. 
Yeah, and I think so, yeah. maybe maybe you can also view this as like a notice period, you know, mm. um, and with the with the additional complexity where you're not actually going yet. So it's like a pre-notice period where you're saying, I'm intending to leave, but if you can convince me to stay, I will stay. Okay. Yeah. That kind of By thing. the way, so I'm, I, taking, I'm taking your stapler. Yeah, that's right. Give me that pencil. Um, <laughs> look, yeah, so that's a, it's a bit complicated, but... I, <clears throat> it's an odd situation, put it that way. I think um, I can see why, you know, the lawyers would be happy that this is another thing that they, you know, another part of the contract that that needs to be uh, worked through. I just see the consequences of this. Like you said, to the player, there's some, there's some pieces here that are not quite clear in terms of what would happen in reality. And I think it would be, in many ways, I see this as disadvantageous to the player, um, which is a bit of a shame, but... Um, anyway, well, that's that's that for now. Let's see how it goes. But yeah, the DCE backflip rule, as we're going to call it, we will keep an eye on it and see how we go. Um, interesting to see which of uh, you know these scenarios that we've come up with actually comes to fruition. Because if we start seeing players actually taking advantage of it as part of the negotiation kind of process, then that would be interesting. But equally, I can see players being taken advantage of. So let's hope it's uh, it's uh, not not that the case, but we'll keep an eye on it. So look, let's move on. We're almost there. We're at tackle number six. The tips for finals week two. Here we go. So last week I got three out of four and you got two out of four, Tish. Brings me to a total of 127 and you up to 129. So I am uh, getting there, one step closer to you, uh, but still two away. We've got the big semifinals coming up. Melbourne Storm versus Sydney Roosters. I am going to put my cards on the table. I'm going to tip an upset. The Roosters, I think, will do it against the Storm. Yeah, look, I will. I'm going to go for the Storm. Warriors v Knights. Uh, we both said this is going to be a good one. Could be, could go either way. It could, it definitely will be entertaining. That's for sure. But I think the Warriors, with their first home victory in a while in the finals, uh, it, it's. I'm on the Warriors train at the moment, Tish. I'm, I'm, I'm reckon this is the start of their momentum towards a premiership. Warriors for mine. Yeah. Well, two two. I'm on the um, the Ponga Express. So I'm tipping the Knights uh, to uh, to once again get another victory. Well done. So against against the tide and overseas as well in front of a rabid Warriors crowd up the wires. And look on that note, let's finish up. It's been a great podcast. We've talked a lot. We've uh, we've certainly sunk our teeth into the Jack Whiten affair. That's it for now. Enjoy the next two games. We will be down to four uh, as of the end of next week um, with the Panthers and the Broncos awaiting the winners of those two games. Looking forward to it. Tish, over to you to wrap this up. Well, thank you, Dr. Taylor, to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We're your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.